Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Here we go. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, then don't harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Forever has entered... God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter this rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Father, we ask you for grace today as we look at your word. God, this is a difficult passage. Uh, It's hard for us to understand. Uh, We pray for the illumination of your Holy Spirit to show us your truth, to write it upon our hearts, to impress upon us uh, the great promise of entering your rest. And God, I pray that you would give us faith and obedience to enter that rest. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. God is a promise-making God. You've probably noticed that in the scriptures that uh, the Christian life, the, really the entire Christian life is driven by the promises of God. Okay, that, That's really one way to just describe what does it mean to be a Christian. What it means to be a Christian is to respond in faith to the promises of God. Okay, So all throughout the scriptures, God is initiating his work. He's saying, all right, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I'm promising you. This is what I will do for you. This is what I will be for you. This is what I will give to you. And then as people of faith, there's two types of people. People of faith say, yes, God, I, I, I believe you. I believe your character. I believe you know, who you are. I believe your word. And I trust you. I trust you and I'm going to respond in my life uh, through faith, okay? And then there's another group of people that says, I just don't know. I don't think you'll come through. Um, I doubt. I'm going to go the other way. I think my way is better. I think my way is smarter. And so really the entire Christian life is is made up of God making a promise, God's people believing the promise, and then that propelling their life in a certain direction, okay? So the entire Christian life really is fueled that way. Let me give you evidence of that. 2 Peter chapter 1 is a great passage about the growth, the spirit spiritual growth of believers. And it says in verse 3, 2 Peter 1, 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. What does that say? We've, got, we, we've been given as believers everything we need to live the Christian life. That's what verse 3 said. Now listen to how it continues. By which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, through what? Through the promises of God, 
You may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. Okay, so that's the way the Christian life works. It works in our responding by faith to the promises of God. And really, that's the story of the entire Bible. You know, you got, you got Noah who, who hears the voice of God. And God says, Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. The, the, the world's full of sin and, and, and it's, I'm going I'm to judge the entire world. But Noah, I will save you through an ark. And so Noah says, I believe God. I believe you. I trust you. Doesn't make sense to me. Never done this before, but, but, but I trust you. And so Noah lives the rest of his life, really building that ark and preparing for that day and trusting God's promise. God appears to Abraham. Abraham hears God's word. God tells him, man, I'm going to make a great nation of you. You don't have any kids. You're you're elderly, but but you're going to have a son. You're going to have descendants of me and the stars of the heaven and and the sand of the sea. And through you, all nations are going to be blessed. I'm going to give you you, you, your your descendants uh, their own land. And Abraham says, I believe you, God. I believe your promise. I believe what you're telling me. And that leads Abraham to leave, Abraham to leave the land of Ur and to leave his home and, and to pack up everything and, and to spend the rest of his life following God's promise. Okay? Matthew 6, It's a promise for us to seek first the kingdom of God. And all these things will be added unto you. There's, a, there's, a, there's hundreds of those in the scriptures. And, and as, as believers, we say, God, okay, I believe you. I, I believe what you said. I'm, I'm going to seek you first. I'm going to trust you with the rest of my life. But I'm going to make it my passion to get this thing right. My, my pursuit of you. Okay, so... So the Christian life is driven by these promises of God. Now, chapter 4, verse 1 opens up and says, Therefore, while the promise, okay, the promise, so it's giving us one of God's promises, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and then, then, then we, the rest of the verse or the rest of the passage is our, our, our response to God's promises. And so what we find here is this promise of God's rest. And if you've been reading chapter 3, chapter 4, this thing is everywhere, okay? This, this promise of God's rest. In chapter 3, we were looking at God's people who came out of Egypt, out of slavery, through the Red Sea, into the wilderness. And, and, and their deal was they were heading toward the promised land. They were heading toward God's rest. In the Old Testament, it links up the promised land with the rest of God. God says, I'm going to give you guys rest. I'm going to give you rest from your slavery. I'm going to rest, rest from your, your wandering. I'm going to give you rest from your, your toil. I'm going to give you this land. And so the promised land represented this rest. And so in chapter 3, it's all about them entering God's rest and some people missing God's rest. Okay, But the writer of Hebrews backs it up even further. Beginning in verse 4, he says, For he has somewhere spoken to the seventh day. In this way, God rested on the seventh day from all his works. Okay, So, so he goes clear back to creation and said, here, here, Here's the story of creation. God creates the world in six days. And then on the seventh day, God rested. Okay, there's this, there's this rest. Remember what God does? God looks around. And he says, man, it's good, you know? I mean, he looks at the world, uh, a sinless world of perfection. And, and he looks at mankind. And he looks at all that he's made. And he says, man, this is really good. Okay, God steps back, ceases his activity, and enjoys what, what, what he has created, what he has made. Okay, so there's this creation rest. And then later on, there would be this Sabbath rest in which, you know, the fourth commandment is that we, we, should, we, we should obey the Sabbath. All right, and, the, and so God says, look, six days you should work on the seventh day. I want you to stop, stop everything, and I want you to enjoy me. I want you to spend a day just enjoying me. I want you to enjoy what I've done, enjoy what I've given you. And I want you to enjoy what I've promised you. 
Okay, I want you to live this way. And so there's this, there, there's, this, there's this Sabbath rest and this promised land rest and this creation rest. And then verse 9, notice what he says. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Okay, one that we're, we're yet to enter into. Notice in verse 8, he said, if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another later on. Okay, so even after Joshua, David spoke of this next rest. And we understand that rest to be, be the, the rest of heaven. Okay, the rest of uh, of of salvation in Christ leading into an eternity in heaven. And so you have this concept of, of rest in the scriptures that, that, that typifies God's promise to us. Okay? Now, I don't know about you, but, but man, I, I get that, all right? Like, like, I, like when, when, when God says, hey, you know what I'm going to give you? Rest, okay? I don't be like, ah, oh, man, that's not what I wanted, you know? I'm, I'm like, that's good. In fact, it was kind of cool. I woke up and my alarm went off at 5 a.m. this morning. And, and I always set it for like every five minutes, you know, so that because I don't want to oversleep. And so I get it by like the third one because I not not because like I'm afraid, you know, I'm not going to get here or whatever. But I'm just afraid what Emma will do if I keep letting that go off. And so, you know, about 5, 10 or 5, 15, I would say I turned it off one more time. And I was laying there and I thought... You know, man, God's given rest. You know, I mean, it just was so appealing right then. You know, I mean, I was like, I get why he's describing what he's given here. You know, he's teaching us basically that, that, that life is good with him. Okay, life is good with him. The Sabbath day that God gave his people was this foreshadow of this rest that God would bring us in salvation and in heaven. And the Israelites, they, they were to take a day and, and they were to cease from their labor and their toil and their busyness and their work. And they were just to enjoy God. God. They were to worship. They were to trust God to take care of them. That was part of the, the Sabbath day was, hey, you just stop what you're doing. You know, I got work to do. Hey, you just trust me to take care of you. Okay. That, that was what every week there were this constant reminder of, of God was leading them to this rest. We're to have that. That's, that's one of the reasons we gather. We take a day for, for worship and fellowship and hanging out with family and taking a nap and going to small groups. Why? We, we are looking forward to this rest that we have in Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to this, this rest that is coming for us. Every week ought to be this reminder of, man, God's got this good thing. I, I, I'm excited. Experiencing the kind of the foreshadow of it right now, the, the beginnings of it, but God's got something awesome to come for me. Now, unfortunately, the people of God are notorious for misunderstanding. That, that, that rest, especially misunderstanding the Sabbath day. In, in the New Testament, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, we see that Jesus has this constant fight with the, with the Pharisees over the Sabbath day. Have you noticed that? You know, like he'd be out healing, you know, he, he'd, he'd you know, heal somebody, you know, restore sight to the blind or raise the paralytic. And the Pharisees would have their whistle and their, their, their uh, referee's uniform, you know, tweet, foul, foul, you know, you're a sinner, you broke the Sabbath day. And Jesus is like, oh, man, you know, come on, guys, you know, you're missing it. Man, you are missing it. You know, it's, they turned it into a burden. You know, God gives us this thing to say, man, I want you to see that life with me is good. Life with me is joy. Life with me is rest. Life with me is take the anxiety off, take the pressure off. Man, God is working for us. God is saving us through his work and his redemption and leading us into fullness and joy and pleasures forever. And that's why he gave us the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees turned it into, man, hey, this is a work. Okay, we're going to, we're going to, well, I'm going to do it better than everybody. You know, you walk 10 steps. I'm only going to walk nine. You know, you made your, you made all your food on Friday. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to make mine on Wednesday, you know, and I'm going to rest better than you. And I'm going to be more spiritual. And and by doing all this, we're going to get to heaven. 
You know, through, and, and Jesus is like, no, you're missing the point. That's not the point of the Sabbath day. The point is not for you to use it as a work to earn my favor. It's, it's, not, it's not that you use the Sabbath day as, you know, some kind of legalistic, you know, uh, getting points with God. No, the point of the Sabbath day is you already have points with God through Jesus. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. He, he is where we find rest in God, and now we enjoy God through him. Even the Christians of, of the New Testament struggle with this. Colossians 2 uh, tips us off to that. Verse 16, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink, regard to festival or new moon or Sabbath. Okay, so they were, they were struggling with it as well. But, 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 but folks, the promised land, the creation narrative, all, the, 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 the going into, into this land of Canaan, all of that was, was this foreshadowing of a rest that is to come. It's a rest by, that we enter into by faith in Jesus Christ, okay? And really, the promised land is a great example of that, you know? I mean, here comes these, these slaves out of Egypt, and God's delivered them miraculously, and he's leading them where? He's leading them to cities and farms and, and ranches and, and that they didn't, they didn't have anything to do with getting, you know? They, they didn't build them. They, they, they didn't, they wasn't their sweat equity. No, God is just bringing them to this by faith. He says, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you rest. Your toil, it's going to be over and you're, you're going to rest in this good land. Life in the promised land is going to be good. I mean, that, that's the point of, of them going to the promised land. And how do they get there? They get there by faith, right? Remember, you know, he takes them out. He brings them to Jericho. All right, how are we, how are we, going, to, how are we going to conquer Jericho? Well, the traditional mindset is, you know what? We've we got, we got to build ramparts. We've got to build, you know, things to crush down the wall. We've got, we got to somehow get in there. We've got to somehow attack. And God's like, no, 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 no. Here's what I want you to do. I want you just to trust me, okay? Here's what I want you to do. Hey, y'all, y'all go ahead and just march around it, you know, once a day, you know, for six days. Do that, you know, and just celebrate. You know, just have a worship time, march around it. On the, on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times. And then when you get around, I want you to have a great big shout of joy and I'll take care of the rest. You know, does that make any sense at all? Not any at all, okay? None. But, but they do it. Why? They're trusting God. Hey, God said we do this. We're entering into his rest. They do it. The walls come down. They take the city. It's theirs. We enter God's rest by faith and trusting God. Now, the cool thing about that, that, that story in the Old Testament is, okay, do you know what Jesus, which is a Greek name, do you know what Jesus' name in Hebrew is? It is, if you translate it, Yeshua, Joshua, okay? So Jesus is the new Joshua, okay? He's the perfect Joshua. So he's leading us into a rest that goes beyond the promised land. And, that, and that's the point of Hebrews here. If you, if you notice where he says in uh, like verses 6 through 8. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day today saying through David. Okay now the reason that's important that he says through David. Okay if you go chron- chronologically you got the exodus with Moses. You got Joshua leading them into the promised land. And then you got the time of the kings with David. Actually there's the time of the judges in between that but in other words david is is way past joshua okay he's he's long time after joshua and, and so the writer of hebrews is saying look through david we got this we got this invitation again to enter into god's rest and so verse 8 says for if joshua had given them rest god would not have spoken of another day later on there's there remains a sabbath rest for the people of god so this is being extended to us through Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty through 30. Come ye all who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you what? Rest. 
I'll give you rest. He says, come take my yoke upon you. Uh, uh, come take my yoke upon you. For I, 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 I'm not going to burden you down. I'm going to give you rest. And so, so what is this, this Sabbath rest that we're, we're entering into, this, this rest of God? Well, it's, it's ceasing from work in the sense of our, our, our salvation. Okay, notice verse 10, whoever has entered in God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Okay, there's two ways to live, all right? You, you can live your whole life trying to be good enough, you know? Trying to be good enough and, and, and trying to basically buffalo yourself into feeling like your sins are not that bad, okay? So you spend your whole life, you know, trying to be good enough, but you keep failing. And so when you do fail, what do you do? Well, you'd be like, well, but you know, I'm still better than most people. And, and really God understands that because how hard my life is. And, and you know, anybody would have done the same thing and I'm really a pretty good guy and, and I'm a whole lot better than a whole bunch of other people and, and so you spend your whole life trying to gain favor with God alright but what God is inviting you into is Jesus saying I did the work for you I have worked the redemption work I have died on the cross I have carried your sins I have lived the perfect life I have risen from the dead Jesus has worked and now he has sat down yeah, have you ever noticed that? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's done it. Remember what he said on the cross? It is finished, right? It's finished. And now he invites us to be joined to his life and enter into his rest by salvation, by grace through faith. Okay, so we, we, we enter this rest of salvation. I think it's also, I think, I think it's multi-layered here. I think it's also an inward rest, okay, of not being bound up in annoyance and emotional turmoil and anxiety. I think it's the rest of allowing God to care for us, you know, and trusting, man, God's going to take care of me. And I can put myself in his hands. I can have the peace that surpasses all understanding. I think it's that inward rest. I think it's this remaining confident in God, just resting, leaning upon him. Okay, and, and most of all, I think it's the rest of heaven. Man, just think about heaven for a minute. How is heaven going to be eternal rest? Man, it is rest from sin. No more striving, no more battling, no more struggling against sin and guilt and all of that. It is rest from pain and suffering and death. It's a rest from anxiety and emotional distress. It is the rest of what Psalm 1611 says, which is in heaven there will be fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That is the rest of God. It is the rest of being in the presence of God. It's the rest that Adam and Eve had in the garden with perfect fellowship with God. Can you imagine just our eternity being hanging out with God? Man, that's good. You know, I I love being with him. You know, I, I love being with my wife, you know, but here's the reality. She has faults. She sins sometimes. We frustrate and irritate each other. And uh, I could go into that, but there's no need, all right? But, but listen, even, even, even with all that, I still look forward to hanging out with her. You know, when we have something planned, when we get to be together, that still excites me and gives me joy. And, and I have a joyful anticipation of it. You know, I, I got buddies that I love brothers in Christ. I love to be with. I love to go mountain bike with or go on a trip with or just hang out and talk about scripture with or meet at a restaurant. But listen, those same guys really get on my nerves sometimes. You know, those same guys, they, they pick at me. You know, I went to see uh, this week with one, and he criticized my driving the whole way, you know. And he kept putting these little jabs. And, you know, and, and listen, though, even though they disappoint me, I, I, still, I still enjoy them. I still anticipate being with them. Can you imagine ramping that up to being with the perfect man? 
Jesus Christ, the glorious Son of God, the one who is life, the one who is joy, the one who is infinitely glorious, just the heart of anticipation that we ought to have to enter that rest and be with Him forever and ever. You know what I think America has stumbled into that is is incredibly unhealthy? I think America has stumbled into adopting a, a substitute rest, okay? What is it? What does everybody look forward to? What does everybody, what does everybody strive to enter into? Notice, notice in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Okay, you know what I see people in America striving to enter into? Ret- Man, someone said it. Retirement. That's right. That's exactly right. What, what, I, what I see in America is people have said, yes, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. And it's called 65. It's called retirement. It's called when I get to stop working and then, man, life is going to be good. I'm going to enter into the what kind of years? Okay, remember, remember in heaven, what does it tell us about heaven? Heaven's a place of golden streets, right? Hey, we don't need golden streets of heaven. We want the golden years, right? I mean, that, that's, what, that's what most Americans, I'm not saying most Americans saying I don't want heaven, but I'm saying they don't strive to enter heaven. Their efforts are not to enter heaven. Their efforts are to enter retirement. They're busting their tail, not for heaven. They're busting their tail for retirement. For these golden years. And man, I I hope that works out great for you. Um, But just let me tell you my experience of hanging out with our senior adults is the gold is not quite as shiny as it seems when you're 30, okay? Um, It it appears to me just from observation that those years are not the great rest that we all long for. They're not the great rest of fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. That those years are, are really actually many times plagued with failing bodies and weakness and where the ordinary task of life now are, 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 are demanding and, and plaguing and exerting. And then there's family troubles and loss and death and disappointments. And I'm not saying it's terrible. And I'm, not, I'm not saying you shouldn't retire, you know. Man, I, man I, I think there is a time where you save well and plan well and you get to do something else. That's great. But what I'm saying is don't let that be your rest, okay. Don't, don't strive and bust yourself for that, okay. You should want to enter God's rest. So what is this rest? Well, it's a rest from our fleshly efforts to be saved. It's a rest in Christ's salvation. It's a rest from our anxiety. It, 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 it's a heavenly rest. It's a, it's a rest of being with God. Okay? All right. So that's, that's the promise. Now, go back to verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. You got an interesting phrase here. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Let us fear. Now, now, the reason I say that that is a little strange is because as a whole, the Bible hammers us with do not fear. Okay? You, you ever notice that? It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. It's one of my favorite verses. Fear not, for I'm with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll hold you with my righteous right hand. Verse 13. I'm the Lord your God uh, who holds your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. Verse 14. Isaiah 41. Fear not, you worm, Jacob. Um, Luke 12, 32, fear not little flock for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Second Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear. I could go on and on. The Bible is, is just littered. It's just, just peppered with this, this fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not. Okay. And, and so, so what, what are we saying here? 
When, when, when the writer of Hebrews says, man, there's a promise of entering this rest, and you ought to fear, lest some of you miss it. That's what he's saying. So how do we reconcile those? Well, I think it's, what are you fearing? Okay, what are you fearing? Now listen, the Bible is very clear. You, you, you shouldn't fear death. In fact, we just saw that in, in, in Hebrews chapter 2, didn't we? Uh, verse 15 uh, or verse 13 talks about, or no, verse 14, I'm sorry, talks about through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, verse 15, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God's delivered us from the fear of death. You shouldn't fear death, not if you're a believer. You, you shouldn't fear what men can do to you. Remember Matthew 10 tells us that? You shouldn't fear persecutions or mockings or mistreatment. You shouldn't fear the struggles of life if God is caring for you. You, you should not fear those things. But you know what you should fear? You should fear unbelief. That's what you should fear. You you should have an alarm that goes off in your head when you get to the edge of unbelief, when you get to the edge of disobedience, when you get to the when you get near rebellion against God. You should there should be something that goes off in your head, and you should fear missing God's rest. There's a great passage in 1 Corinthians. That talks about, again, the Israelites. Same same example. Same example. Here would be evidence that Paul might have written Hebrews because he he uses this in the same way. Okay, I'm not saying he did, but I'm just saying if you were interested in that and who wrote Hebrews. Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 1. Let me read this. I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud. Okay, what does that mean? Remember when they came out of, uh, of Egypt? How did they know where to go? Cloud by day, fire by night, right? They're all under the cloud, okay? They all passed through the sea, okay? What's the sea? Red Sea. Remember, they all went through, verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses. So they had a kind of baptism in the cloud and in the sea. And they all ate the same spiritual food. What's that? What did they eat in the wilderness? Remember? Manna from heaven. Every day, God provided, all right? So they had spiritual food, okay? Just like we do right there, okay? Here in a minute, okay? Spiritual food. They all drank the same, the same spiritual drink. How did they get their water? Out of the rock, Remember the rock represented Christ? Right there, spiritual drink, okay? Are you seeing the parallels, okay? For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. Verse 5, nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. What's he saying? Same thing Hebrews is saying. Man, you can look like a Christian, and you can smell like a Christian, and you can do things Christians do, and you can hang out with them, you cannot be it. You can have unbelief in your life. You see, these, these folks were unbelieving. The mark of a true Christian, isn't it the, this, the, the, the message of Hebrews? It's perseverance and faith. It's holding fast to our confidence. So we need to work out our salvation. This is what Philippians 2.13 says. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay? Now, now, what do we mean by that? Should I walk around every day saying, I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved. I don't know if I'm saved. No, I don't think so. First John says, you, you, you can know. You ought to have assurance. Like, okay, now you're confused. You're like, well, what are you telling us then, you know? If we're fear, don't fear, wait, what is it? Okay, let, let, me, let me give you an illustration that I think will help this, okay? So, um, we're at the Grand Canyon. Uh, this was last May. And uh, so we're at the Grand Canyon. And can you still see me back here, Drew? Is this good? 
Okay, so we're at the Grand Canyon, and uh, Emma's, Emma and I are there. Emma's taking all of her pictures. She likes to take pictures and everything. And as long as we're away from the edge, it is nothing but joy, you know? I mean, it is, it is gladness. It is, this is great. How beautiful. God is glorious. Can you believe God's majesty? It is no fear, all joy. We're away from the kids. I mean, it's just, wow, okay, wonderful, okay? But as soon as I would get near the edge, things would fall apart. They would fall apart. Okay, there she she and this is really strange because Emma's kind of the fearless one of the two of us. You know, I mean, use like especially when we're on the ocean, you know, she's the one that's like, let's swim out two miles, you know, and I'm like, I don't think we should do that. You know, and, and you know, we we've been kayaking before and, you know, she's like, let's go all the way around the island. I'm like, Ugh. you know, I mean, usually like she's the more fearless. OK, we're at the Grand Canyon, though. It's like it was reversed all of a sudden. Like I'd be like, wow, come look at this, honey. She'd be like, get back. Get back now, you know, you know, get back. You know, and she would begin to threaten me, you know, you're, you're, you're going to fall out there and die, and I'm not going to care, and I'm going to tell the kids that you were stupid, and you didn't love them, you know, I mean, she, she's like, get back here, get back now, you know, get away from there, and, and, and so, and then, but when I get back, it was all joy, pleasure, awesome, it was this greatest thing ever, you know, get back, get back now, you know, joy, pleasure, do you see what I'm saying? Okay, now listen, listen, the edge represents disobedience, sin, unbelief. Okay, and so as a Christian, when you're living back here, what is it? It's good, isn't it? It's good, man. God is coming. Jesus is coming back. I'm going to enter his rest. And, and, and I have every reason to be assured of, uh, and confident of my salvation. And man, I can't wait. God's got everything under control. When you get over here. And you start living in habitual sin. And you're unrepentant. You know you shouldn't be here, but you're just you're just testing God. I don't think He's going to do anything. I think I can. We we can back off from God. We can back off from dis, from obedience a little bit. You know, I can live in a way that I know is wrong, and I can, and it's okay. You should fear. And you know, the interesting thing is, this is corporate, okay? Notice, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest stands, this is verse 1, chapter 4, let us fear lest who? Just you? Any of you. You know what it says? Lest any of you. Any of you. So actually, my Grand Canyon illustration is really, really good. Emma wasn't near the edge. I was near the edge, Okay? So when our brothers and sisters get near the edge, when, when they begin to live in disobedience, there ought to be fear. Are they losing their salvation? No, we're, no, we're not saying that. We're saying, listen, last two sermons, your perseverance proves you're the real deal. And, and when, you're, when you're living in disobedience, when you're living in unbelief, when you have pockets of unbelief, that, that ought to disturb you. That ought to, that ought to shake you up. Now, let me tell you something Christians do. Let me tell you something that people that claim to be Christians do that's really unhealthy. The reason I know this for sure is because I remember saying these words around 16, 17 years of age. I was in the pickup with my dad. We were on a country road. I can, I can tell you the place we were at even. We were, right, we were driving by Jack Frick's corn, okay? Um, guy that I worked for. I mean, I, I remember this conversation particularly. And my dad confronted me about some things in my life. And I remember telling him, dad, don't, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I said, I, I believe. I said, I, I believe it's just, you know, I may do these things, but I really believe. Okay. Now 
the writer of Hebrews is ta- was talking to me there. Because here's the reality. I, I, didn't be- I didn't believe. I professed, but I, 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 had, I had not put my faith. And my life was this warning sign, you know. I mean, my life consisted of living right here. And, and, and it should have tipped me. And eventually it did tip me off. You know what? You don't have it, Jason. You know, you're, you're right here. Okay? And, and, and that's screaming out unbelief, 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 unbelief. But yet, all the while, at that, at that time anyway, I was saying, I'm going to get God's rest. I'm going to get God's rest. Let us fear, lest any of you should have failed to reach it. Look, look, look how this all comes together. I, I, I like things like this. 319. So go, go to 319. So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Okay, why, why didn't they enter? Unbelief, they, they wouldn't trust God. And their actions showed that. Chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his, his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So, so your life, man, I'm scared for you because it looks like you're, you're, you're living in unbelief. That's what, that's what your life is saying. Verse 2, For good news came to us. What did I tell my dad? Dad, I know. Dad, I know the truth. It's okay. Don't worry about me. Good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them, for they were not united by faith with those who listened. I don't care what you know. Honestly, at at 17, I knew more Bible than a lot of people in a church. I just kind of had a head for it. And uh, I grew up in, my, my dad was saved when I was eight years old. I went to Sunday school, church pretty much every day after that. Um, I remember things pretty easily. And I knew a ton of script. I knew a ton of Bible. And I, that's why I was throwing back at my dad. Hey, don't, don't worry about me. I, I heard good news. I know the, I'll tell you the good news. Good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. No faith. That's the horn. See, there's the alarm. See, some of you are not. You're near the edge and, and God is sounding the alarm right now. I, don't know, I just thought I'd try to work it in. So how do we uh, how do we how do we handle this? Well, we handle it through the word of God. OK, so notice verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fa- fall by the same sort of disobedience. So don't, don't fall into the same thing that these Israelites did. Don't, don't do the same thing. Don't, don't be a part of the people of God and, and go through kind of a baptism and, and you're following God, but yet you're, there's not faith in you. Don't do the same thing. How do, we, how do we get there? Verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the vision of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and tensions of the heart, no creatures hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we give account. How do you respond to the word of God? Okay, and that, this is where it's at, okay? Here's the practical portion. How do you respond to the word of God, okay? Verse 2, chapter 4, they heard the good news, okay? The word of God came to them. But what, what's, the, what's been the constant refrain of, of, of Hebrews in these two chapters? Remember, today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today if you hear, I mean, how many times have we heard that? Four times now in chapter three and four? Today if you hear his voice, okay? How are you responding to the word of God? 
Because the Word of God should have a revealing, exposing work in your life. I mean, you can't hide from it. Someday you will not be able to hide from the Word of God. It will, it will lay you bare. You know, we, 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 try, we, we try really hard, and we're pretty good at it. We can, we can make ourselves appear whatever we want to make ourselves appear. We can hide things in our lives. We can hide sin. We can hide our hearts. We can hide lust. We can hide pride. Man, you can't hide from the Word of God. It, it, it will cut you open and lay you bare right to the point of your sin. Notice what it says. It says, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The Word of God assesses our, our thoughts and our intentions. You see, unbelief, remember this from last week, unbelief is fueled by the deception of sin. Remember that? Uh, that was in chapter 3, verse 13, uh, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. I mean, sin can be really convincing, can it? I mean, we, 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 can, we can jump right in and we can believe it. And then we start believing our feelings. We start trusting our feelings. We start trusting our heart. Here's a great lesson. I I mean, man, I cannot trust my feelings. I cannot. I I had a great illustration of this week even, you know, where I I just got crossways on a deal. And, and man, I just felt completely 100% justified in, 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 in reacting in a sinful way. And if it were not for the word of God, I would fall right into that. You know, if I, if I just was like, what's the right thing here? And I know what the right thing is, you know. I mean, yeah, I'm sure of it. I'm 100%. I'm justified. Man, I, I, need the, I need to be responding, hearing, embracing the word of God. Because the, the word of God cuts right through my feelings. And it cuts right through my, my deceptive heart. And it cuts right through the, the world's message. And it cuts right through the wisdom of society. All those lies. And it's, it's living. It's active. It's active. I was reading one guy, and he brought out a great point. You know, you remember Isaiah 55, 11? It says, um, um, what does it say? Um, uh, God's word always accomplishes its purpose. There it is. So shall my word that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing which I send it. The word of God always does something. It's active, Okay. And there's this great passage in 2 Corinthians 2.15. Paul's talking about, as, as proclaimers of the word of God, he says, here's what's happening. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. Every time the word of God goes out. This morning, it's doing one of two things. One of two things. It, the word of God, is, as it goes forth into, into your life right now, into my life right now, one of two things. It's either mounting evidence against your judgment or it's transforming you to repentance. But it's doing one of the, it, it, it can't do nothing, okay? It, it's, it's either you're going to ignore it, you're going to let it go over, you're going to push it by, and it's going to be evidence of your condemnation or it's going to hit you, it's going to cut you open right to the heart and lay bare your sin. cause you to repent and the word of god pierces it should cut out the cancer of unbelief that leads to sin one more verse this is a great passage in acts where peter preaches the word of god to to the people and uh 
and they hear it, and, and he, he says, you killed Jesus, it's, it's you, it's your sin, Jesus is the Messiah, he's the king, you know, this great sermon. And in Acts 2.37, it says, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. That's what the word of God does. Have you experienced that? Man, it, it just you're here by the edge, and the word of God comes, and it just lays you open. And you're exposed. You know what it's like to be exposed, you know? It's like you can't hide anymore, you know? You see how you really see and it's just, you're, you're there. And your sin's just laid out. And you're looking at it. You did, God's put it right in front of your face. This is it. No, notice what happens. They were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? See, that, that's, that's evidence of, of, of responding to the word of God. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. They didn't. How'd they respond? What, what do we do? 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 I, I, I got to get, get right with God. I got to get this out. I got I to be right with God today. What do I do? Verse 38, Peter said to them, repent. <laughs> repent. Get right. Man, that is what the Word of God does in our lives.